Amen. Would you take your Bibles, please, and join me for our Bible study in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, there are some notes in the bulletin. The ushers have some and as well in their hands as they go by. Feel free to ask them for, or just raise your hand. They'll hand you some of the notes. As we get started, let me do a Mother's Day quiz with you, and let's see where we're thinking about Mother's Day. What holiday has the most restaurant reservations that are done on that particular day in America. Christmas, Hanukkah, New Year's, Father's, Mother's Day, Valentine's Day, Thanksgiving, and the 4th of July. It's going to be Mother's Day. Okay? Here's another one. Not so hard. What holiday has the most phone calls made on that day in America? Which one? It's going to be Mother's Day. Okay? Here's one for you. What holiday sees the purchase of the most plants or flowers in America? Christmas, Hanukkah, New Year's, Father's Day, Mother's Day, Valentine's, Thanksgiving, Fourth of July. Mother's Day is number three. Nah. Which one's number two? Father's Day is not number two. Okay. <laughs> Father's Day doesn't get anything but poison ivy. Uh Hanukkah's number two. Christmas is number one. Here you go. Largest baby to be born weighed in at how much? 12, 13, 15, 18, 20, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. Ouch. Okay. Here we go. How old is the oldest woman in modern history to go through the whole process, conception and all, and give birth to a child? Seventy is the right age, yeah. God bless that woman. Okay. Here's one for you. The largest number of babies birthed to one woman. Thirty-five is wrong. Which one? 69 babies in 27 pregnancies. Well, let me add to it that in doing a little bit more research to this, that she was the first wife of this gentleman. His second wife gave birth to 18 more. Okay? That's a village in one family. That's, that fellow. This was in Russia in that time period. Julia Ward is, uh, was an act, uh, anti-war activist. She was one of the first ladies in America to promote the idea of Mother's Day so that there would be world peace. She also wrote one of these hymns. Which hymn did she write? Battle Hymn of the Republic is the one she wrote. How does that go with an, with an anti-war activist working together? I'm not sure. Here's one for you. How much will the average American, you, spend on your mom for Mother's Day this year? <laughs> and how much will you spend at Father's Day? I don't know yet. <laughs> I heard you said a lot of stuff about me last week. You did. Yeah, I'm going to say a lot about him in a moment, but... Okay, Tony's spending 300 You can write, write the check to Wayne. Uh, what do you think it is? It's not 300 He's just above normal. <laughs> $65 is wrong. You are cheap. You are cheaper. Okay. What do you think it is? Right? 
right? I'm going, who, what? <laughs> Our family is cheap, Deb. Trust me, we're cheap. So, yeah. Wow, 200 bucks, wow. Ladies, I know you're going to be disappointed today by this non-average group. Okay. Speaking of mothers, who do you think is probably the most famous mother of all times that's well-known? We agree it's probably the Virgin Mary. You know, more people know about her. You know what's interesting when you talk about the childhood of Christ? There's very little in scriptures about him. There are seven or eight accounts, depending on how you divide it down, that talk about the idea of Jesus when he's a little boy, when a baby, when he's first conceived. Then he's on the eighth day taken to the temple, made the presentation, and then a few weeks later he's also, then they have the process of making the turtle dove sacrifice. Then we read about the Magi coming when he's about two years of age. Scripture says that the Magi show up and they do their presentation of the gifts. And then shortly after that we have the account that they flee into Egypt because because the threat by Herod. Herod dies about a year later, maybe up to two years later, that, they, that it happens, that they come back then from Egypt, and they're going to go back to Bethlehem, but they realize that Herod's son is in charge, so they end up going back to Nazareth, and there they spend their time in Nazareth. And then we read in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, a passage of scripture, or I'm sorry, in verse starting with verse 42 down to 49, when he's 12 years of age going to the temple, and then the last segment that we get is in verse 52 of Luke 50 of Luke 2. If you look at the verse, it just summarizes Jesus' life. In fact, this verse summarizes his entire life for the next 18 years, from age 12 all the way up to 30. Now, there's a lot of different books that are out there, apocryphal books. There are pseudo-gospels pseudo that give you ideas about how Jesus was upset with some of the village boys in Nazareth, got mad and changed them into birds, and they all flew off. That's phony. There's one about how the kids recognized that Jesus was so important and so they watched him walk on the water around Nazareth and the village and then that they saw him bring the trees to bow down before them and all the kids worshipped Jesus, that the kids had more insight than anybody else. That's phony as well. Those, those stories. All we read about Jesus in this text of Luke chapter 2, if you jump down into that passage and you read this, these few verses, he increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. That's his description for 18 years of his life, his teenage years, his young, his young adult life. And uh, in fact, nothing, nothing happens as far as miraculous until he's age 30. First miracle we read in John chapter 2 is when he changed the water into wine. And when he goes back to Nazareth in Mark chapter 6 that we've been studying on Wednesday nights, the people say, is not this the carpenter? They didn't expect, they didn't know, they didn't, they didn't anticipate when he came back preaching that they knew he was going to be the village boy who did good. They had no concept of that. He was a normal, normal everyday child during those 18 years. That tells us a lot about his life. Even though it doesn't, it tells us an awful lot. What we learn about Jesus is that he was a normal child. He had a normal teenage experience. Even in his full humanity, that he experienced much of what you experienced. Notice what the verse says. He increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. He grew. He had to learn. He had to have those experiences. The difference between your teenage years and his is he didn't sin. 
Otherwise, he had the same experiences in many different ways. We know he didn't sin. There are several passages that make it clear that he's tempted in all points like as we are, yet he never sinned. It was predicted in Isaiah. It was fulfilled in his lifetime that he was known to be one without sin. By the way, this is an important concept, that Jesus is a human like you and me. He's one that is a kinsman related to us, just like we're related to Adam and Eve. And as they are human parents, they passed on different uh, tendencies to us, including that, that I'm going to say genetic and I say it tongue in cheek, that, in, that inheritance that we got from them was our sin nature and it's passed on. And so by being a part of the human race, we have that, that commonality. We have a commonality with Jesus in that he was human and yet he is the only one without sin. He had no sin nature. He never sinned, which makes him the perfect redeemer, the, the spotless lamb who could pay for your sins. Another person who could then take my sins because he had none of his own. And so in that regard, this made Jesus God's acceptable sacrifice, the savior for every one of us, because he like us in many ways, yet without sin, could take our penalty of sin upon himself. That made him our redeemer. That qualified for him to be the one who could be the, your savior, give you a forgiveness of sin, and make you an entryway into heaven. For that reason, we worship him because he's the perfect God-man who is able to provide forgiveness for everyone, no matter what their sin, no matter how often they sin, he is our redeemer. So that's the beautiful part about it. But there are times that we, we forget that Jesus, who redeems us by his blood, by his sacrifice, that he was totally human. We kind of think that sometimes he was this superman, that he was this invincible character, and yet he had to learn. He had to go through experiences like you did. He didn't come just totally, Im, you know, totally Im, uh, uh, perfect and totally mature, he had to grow as a child. He had to learn all the subtleties of life. In fact, one author or one speaker, pastor, wrote it this way, and I thought it was really, really important just to share with you this morning. When we arrive at Luke chapter 2, verse 52, we enter a scene which provides more mystery regarding the boyhood of Jesus. Some would believe that Jesus had all the wisdom he ever needed and never increased in that attribute or any attribute for that matter. Luke informs us that Jesus advanced or increased in three different ways, using three Three nouns in our text, wisdom, stature, and favor, favor with God and with man. I would agree with the author Lenski that these nouns are datives in a relationship and the imperfect tense uses the idea or gives the idea Jesus kept on increasing tells us that not only that tells us not only that this progress continued but there was much more to follow during his teen years. The truth is that we find it hard to believe Jesus ever developed in any way. Being the perfect child must have meant that his development was already perfect, perfected. However, this would have violated his human nature he had, and the fact that he was a normal boy yet without sin. Most likely, it would have been possible for Jesus to do something unwise yet without sinning. Being unwise is not the same as sinning, you know. Aren't you glad about that? Luke informs us in this verse that Jesus, as 100% human, had to progress from immaturity to maturity, from silliness to sobriety, from naivety to discernment, from performing uninformed actions resulting from dumb or even dangerous decisions that little boys and girls can often do. Jesus was not, was not God humanized or human deified. The mystery of his incarnation is that 
he, being 100% God, became 100% human as well. Probably Jesus caught a cold like every other child developing their immune system. His nose ran, he sneezed, he stubbed his toe, smashed his finger, might have had a need, the need of a nightlight too. As he grew, Jesus would fight temptation like any young man, yet never once failed because the scripture says he was tempted in all things like as we are yet without sin. When we discover the implications of this, we discover someone who can understand exactly how we feel. When we discuss it with someone who ignores the implications of this, we discover someone who is already bored by thinking, yeah, yeah, God became a man. They are thinking that all along Jesus was running around Nazareth wearing a robe like the other boys while underneath he had a Superman suit on. The bullets would only bounce off his chest. Nothing would ever hurt Jesus. However, this is not the truth of the Incarnation. Jesus could have scratched his knees playing with the village children, just like they did. He would have burned his tongue on hot cider until he learned better. He would have gotten a cold when it was cold and hot and sweaty when he played or when he worked with his stepfather in the shop. Do you know what that means? Jesus knew what it was like to be under parental authority. He knew what it was like to be 16 years old. He also knew what it was like to be a 30-year-old single male. I love the inspired choice of verbs that, that is used in this verse. In my text, it's translated, Jesus kept on increasing. In the Greek, it's the word prokopto, which could be re rendered to advance. The ideas that, of this word indicating not just old advancement, but ongoing. It carries the idea of making headway or forging ahead. One Greek scholar says this verb can, mean, can refer to metals being lengthened by hammering them. It is also used of speaking of cutting down trees in the pathway of an advancing army, the soldiers literally hacking their way forward. This is the meaning of the word in this verse. It implies difficulty in a process of moving forward. I say all this because we read in verse 52 that Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. That's the one we worship. A God-man. This verse is loaded. But it comes on the text of another verse that gives us a more loaded information about Jesus. Back up a little bit. And we read the account that is given in verse 41 down through verse 51 that's talking about Jesus during his lifetime. He's 12 years of age. Let me read the text. It's familiar, but let me bore you by reading it. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintances. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, his parents were amazed. His mother said, Son, why have you dealt with us this way? Behold, your father and I sought thee sorrowing. He said to them, interesting, how is it that you sought me? Did you not know I must be about my father's business? They understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth. Amazing. 
Amazing. Now, what, what is happening in the story, just to give you some background to it, that it says that they went down to the Jerusalem for a feast. It was very normal that the Jews would go down to Jerusalem on these certain feast days. There was three of them that they were supposed to attend, the Feast of the Passover. They were supposed to go again at Pentecost. They were supposed to go again when it became the Feast of the Tabernacles. That was the, the, what the Old Testament said. For the males that, that were of age, they were of the law, bar mitzvah, they were supposed to go on, an, on this, this three times a year. But then there was some, some modifications of it. And the modifications in the law that the Jews wrote out said that if you live 15 miles or further, you didn't have to come. You could celebrate that feast day in your own home or your own village or your own worship place. But it still encouraged go at least one, one of the feasts. And so go down once a year. And so you have Jesus' family. They live 65 miles away. And it says that they both went to Jerusalem, both mom and dad. And they traveled down as was their custom. The custom was to get there. And it tells us that Mary and Joseph went down there together. Now this gives us some insight to Mary and Joseph how they were as devoted as they were to living and fulfilling the law that they were living under at that time period. And so what would happen is that they would get down there, and this feast is the feast of the Passover. It's that one that would have been just here a couple of weeks back that we would have, would have been at the same time as our Easter that the Jews were celebrating. When they would come to Jerusalem, there was huge amounts of people. Estimates looking back say they'd sacrifice around 250,000 lambs each year, which probably means that there was about 2 million people that that would flood the city of Jerusalem. That meant there's a lot of people looking for places. There's a lot of people camping outside. In the temple, they had what they called rotations, that they would, they would have these different, different shifts of the priests that they would work a week or week and a half or two weeks, and then they'd come back and do it again. But at Passover, everybody was on call. Everybody had to be there. The feast typically lasted a week, but what happened is they could, many of the people would only be there for the weekend. And then they would travel back. But Mary and Joseph, again, they did the, the more, um, they did more. Let's just put it that way. They stayed the entire week. They came on a regular basis. They came as a family, that they were down there. And so this was an important feast visit for Jesus. Now, what happened is at age 13 is when the boy would become the son of the law, the bar mitzvah. Jesus is 12. So some people get struggling. They say, well, what, what is, how does this work? Because in the Mishnah, in the Jewish writings, the families were told, take your son the year before, if not two years before, but surely his 12-year-age birthday, when he's the year before he's